time we turn in our Bibles to the Gospel according to John, John chapter 3, can be found on page 1055, I'm going to begin reading at John chapter 2, beginning at verse 23, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, however, will constitute my sermon text uh, for this evening. So we'll actually begin the reading at John chapter 2, beginning at verse 23, 2, chapter 3, verse 15. Following the reading of God's word, we're going to open up to the Forms and Prayers book to page 204. We won't uh, read it at this time, I'll, I'll refer to it during the course of the sermon. This time, let us hear God's word. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem in the Passover feast, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Thus far the reading of God's word, may it his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ, in Lord's Day 1, question and answer 2, the Heidelberg asked the question, what must you know to live and die in this comfort? And the answer is three. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sin and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Two Sunday evenings ago, we began to learn from the scriptures the first thing that we must know. How great our sin and misery are in order to live and die in the comfort of belonging to Jesus, we must know that first and foremost, because if we don't know that, we, don't, we won't know how to be 
saved or what we will need to be saved from. And we learn from Genesis chapter 6 that mankind is corrupt and God's wrath is against sin, the corruption of man. But God, who is rich in mercy, found favor with Noah. And by his grace, God preserved the seed of the woman through Noah and his offspring. And saving them through that flood, Noah and his family were saved. God was gracious. God was merciful. But we learn from Genesis 6, the corruption of mankind. How indeed great is our sin and misery. This evening we resume the first thing that we must know and confess to live and die in the comfort of belonging to Jesus. And I want us to quickly look at question and answer 8 of the Heidelberg on page 204 in the Forms and Prayer book. The question is, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? And the answer is yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Born again, regenerated. Our misery is so great, and we are so spiritually corrupt, that we are unable to do good to the glory of God. We are spiritually dead in sin and trespasses, and we are unable to convert ourselves to turn to God. We are unable to rehabilitate ourselves to earn God's favor and good graces because by nature we are incurably sick. We are incorrigible. That is, we are incapable of being corrected or mended apart from grace. If there is no grace, then we remain in this position this condition of misery, of sin. Before we continue, however, there's something interesting about this question, but are, are we so corrupt that, are we, that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? Isn't there some good in mankind? Don't we see unbelievers doing good things to their neighbor? Are we that corrupt that we can't see believers and unbelievers doing a similar thing, a similar deed to another human being? What is the catechism talking about here? It's talking about the inability to do anything that comes from a heart born in corruption and sin and misery. Yeah, human beings do good things and righteous deeds towards their neighbor. If you have a neighbor that's an unbeliever and your unbelieving neighbor sees you and brings you food or does something nice to you, that's a good thing that they are doing. The problem lies at the heart. That's what the catechism is getting at. There is no one who does good from a heart that gives glory to God, praise to his name, thanksgiving to him in the way in which they live out their lives. Why do you do good, Christian? Why do you do good? 
Ask yourself that question. Why do you do good? To the glory of God, to the praise of his name. People can obey laws of the land or protect their neighbor or serve their neighbor. They do good towards their neighbor, reflecting ever so dimly the image of God in them. However, the Bible teaches that whatever is not done in faith is sin. I believe that's what the catechism is getting at here. That which is not done in faith from a regenerate heart, from a heart that gives glory to God. That which is not done in faith is sin. Before God, before God, the deeds of man are evil always. Because God knows the hearts infinitely greater than we can know our own hearts. And he knows that we do it for our own glory and for our own gratification and for our own self-indulgence. And so, yes, we are so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil because the heart is corrupt in every man, and God sees it. God sees it. And that's why the Catechism says it is absolutely necessary that we are born again. The answer, yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. And there's this wonderful text in John for such a text in the Heidelberg Catechism. Unless a man is born again, he shall not see, and then later on, he shall not enter the kingdom of God. Let's look first at the necessity of new birth. I read verses 23 to 25 in chapter 2 because well, let's listen to what it says. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. I'm telling you, this is a very sobering passage. They believed... They saw his miracles and believed, but he did not entrust himself to them. Well, I thought I had to believe, and I'm saved. In fact, he says this later on in John 3.16. No, he knew that their belief was misdirected. Jesus, they see Jesus' miracles and works, but their faith was inadequate because they only saw his works. They didn't see Jesus for who he really is Jesus the light of the world knows the true intention of every person's heart he knows your heart he knows if you're one of these in verses 23 to 25 sobering isn't it humbling He truly knows the darkness and misery of man. And because of man's misery, no one can see the miracles of Jesus and truly believe in him unless they are given spiritual eyes to see and believe. Seeing the miracles isn't believing. 
It requires a super, supernatural act of God. New birth is necessary. And then we come to John 3, verse 1 to 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus, Jesus, we see you're just a prophet here. We see you're a prophet. You're doing the works of God. But that's all Nicodemus is seeing too. He visits Jesus at night. Why? Well, there are many thoughts behind that. Perhaps Jesus or Nicodemus was busy all day doing his labors and only had time to visit Jesus at night. Or perhaps Nicodemus wanted to secretly visit Jesus under the cloak of darkness. And we've got to remember that in John's gospel, he loves to use metaphors, light, darkness. So Nicodemus comes under the cloak of darkness for fear, perhaps, that his colleagues might be upset and angry with Nicodemus. But here Nicodemus is before Jesus, the light of the world, and he will be taught by Jesus. How can those born blind spiritually see? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Actually, there could be, it could be translated, born from above. Unless someone is born from above, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In order to see the kingdom, the peace and gracious reign of God. The kingship and lordship of Christ, now and at the age to come, new birth is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. We must be born from above to see the kingdom. Otherwise, we hang our hope on the flesh. We hang our hope on the will of our parents, our grandparents, and not in the God who raises the spiritually dead and will raise the physically dead in the last day. Is the faith you have your faith or your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith? The Jewish people in Jesus' day cried out to Jesus, We have Abraham as our father. We're good. Really? Jesus says. They thought their relationship to Abraham, their physical descendant, physical offspring was enough. He says, no, 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 no. No. The people of God are the redeemed of God who are born again to a living hope. Born again, born from above. To move from a state of misery a state of misery and sin to a state of comfort in life and in death, new birth or regeneration is absolutely necessary. This is also called the spiritual resurrection. Have you been spiritually raised from the dead? Has God performed spiritual heart surgery on you? You need it, I need it. Jesus makes it very clear. 
very clear that regeneration or birth from above is absolutely necessary. And the origin of new birth comes from God himself, God the Holy Spirit. Look with me in your Bible at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Unless a man, Jesus says, is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot now enter the kingdom of God. Before, it was, he could not see the kingdom of God because he, has, he was spiritually blind. Now he's spiritually lame. He can't, even, he can't walk into the kingdom because he's spiritually crippled. And so one must be born of water and the Spirit, the origin of new birth. And some believe here that born of water refers to water baptism. And it has led to, to many misinterpretations within the Christian church throughout generations. Many de denominations hold to a doctrine called baptismal regeneration. That is, at baptism, the actual placing water upon the, the child cleanses the child and brings about new birth in the child. It actually works. A Catholic doctrine called ex opera operato, which means from the work performed. When the child is baptized, he is born again. Listen to what their catechism says. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the church, and made shares in her mission. Baptism, they say, is the sacrament of regeneration through water in the word. For the Catholic Church, water not only symbolizes new birth, but it actually gives new birth. Actually gives new birth. In fact, in the early church, I don't know if you know this, in the early church when women gave birth and their child was dying, it was a practice of families to run the child to the priest to have the child baptized, lest they should, the child should find him or herself in what was called uh, infant limbo. Today, however, the Catholic position is the, the liturgy of the church invites us to trust in God's mercy and to pray for their salvation. That's the interpretation that was prevalent in the church throughout the centuries. Unless a man is born of water, actually has the water baptism applied to them, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. But the context doesn't indicate this interpretation. It doesn't indicate that water baptism is the origin or the means by which one is born again or regenerated. Water baptism doesn't even seem to be in the context of the passage. Please turn with me to chapter 1, verse 13. John chapter 1, verse 13. 
I'll begin at verse 12 here. Now Jesus is God in flesh. He dwelt among His people. He came to His own people, and His own people did not receive Him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Now listen, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, but, or will of man, but of God. They were born of God. Not by the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. The origin of new birth comes from God the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, in the context of John chapter 3, there wouldn't be the mystery of new birth and the Spirit's work if John was referring to water baptism when he says, when Jesus says, unless a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. When we apply, friends, the principle, the interpretive principle, what we call interpreting Scripture with Scripture, it becomes clearer to us and a more faithful interpretation of Jesus' words, born of water and spirit, when we consider the promise of the Old Testament Scriptures of the New Covenants. For example, we see the origin of new birth is the Spirit, and it's symbolized in the pouring out of water. The Old Testament teaches that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit will cleanse the soul. Like water is poured out and cleanses the body, the Spirit will cleanse the soul and cause new birth. For example, turn with me in your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, we have the new covenant promise here. It's also similar in Jeremiah chapter 31. Joel chapter 2 verse 28 talks about the Lord giving a new spirit, pouring out his spirit upon the church. Here at Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning at verse 25, 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and all, from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Because of the spirit, the promised spirit who indwells the believer, creates new birth so that God, by his grace, enables us and empowers us to walk in God's word and God's will, giving glory to his name. There's this imagery, this imagery of the sprinkling of water, the pouring out of water and other passages that symbolize the Holy Spirit. In fact, one translator says it could be translated, unless a man is born of water spirits, removing the and, water spirits. Water symbolizes spirit and the outpouring of the spirits. And Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, doesn't know the scriptures and the new covenant promise in the Old Testament. 
And we see this in verses 10 and 12 when Jesus says to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus was spiritually blind yet. But we know that at the end of the gospel, he is a follower of Christ. He becomes a follower of Christ. Indeed, he is born again. And so the new covenant was inaugurated and fulfilled in the coming of Christ, in his death, by his precious blood. And he secured for us an eternal redemption. And this eternal redemption, along with it, is the promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the people where God promised to remove our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that seeks after God, a heart that loves God and follows God and worships God. That is why you, O oh friend, are worshiping God on this Lord's day, if that is your heart's desire. That is why you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, because God first did that work in you. And Jesus illustrates his point even further when he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus explains that those who are born of the flesh, that is every human being who is born of a mother and father, is of the flesh because they are still in Adam. They have original sin, the sin of Adam, and actual sin that they commit daily. And so they need to be born from above, born of the Spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit, spiritual life. Christ in the Corinthian, Paul says in Corinthians that Christ is a life-giving Spirit who gives life. And so we have become spiritual Christians who have been born of the Spirit of God. We are in Christ and no longer in Adam. Jesus says, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. The one born of the Spirit of God is spirit, possessing a new heart and in Christ, because Christ possesses a life-giving spirit. We see the necessity of new birth. We see the origin of new birth. God, the Holy Spirit. And now the mystery of new birth. Jesus says at verse 7, 7 and 8, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, let's keep in mind that this was written before meteorologists and all the technology we have today. But one thing is certainly true that doesn't matter if you have technology or not, wind can't be controlled. It can't be controlled or understood in a profound way. And just as the wind is in the hands of the Creator, just as the wind is in the hands of the Creator, so too, God sends His Spirit into the hearts of His people, causing new birth. We can't control 
or understand, as we just sung from the psalm, we can't control or understand the work of the Spirit in new, in new birth. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We don't have control of the wind, but we see the effects of the wind, do we not? We have no control of the wind, nor do we understand it, but we see the effects of it, the aftermath, what it causes. The mystery of new birth and the Spirit's work becomes manifested when the sinner repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the effect of new birth. That's the mystery of God at work in the believer. Another example is the fruit of the Spirit, the mystery of new birth, and the Spirit's work is manifested when the sinner who is saved by grace produces fruit to the glory of God. But yet we want to be careful here. I know maybe many of you have loved ones Wondering indeed if they are born again, born of the Spirit, wandered from the faith. Now they're saying they deny Christ, but while there's still life and breath, there's still hope. Or how about someone who is on their deathbed, hasn't confessed Christ during the course of their life? And they die. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, in other words, it is God who creates new life. And he does it in a way that is so mysterious and profound that is so beyond human comprehension. Because I essentially I think that essentially we try to play judge, jury, and executioner in the life of people. Because we don't see the effects of new birth that we want to see, we put them in another category. Unbeliever. That may be true, but do we know? So just a word of caution, a word of caution, that the work of the Holy Spirit in new birth indeed is mysterious and profound and deep, and the Spirit's work becomes manifested in the life of his people. How do I know if I'm born again? Young people, do you have that question? It's one of those questions like election. How do I know if I'm elect? How do I know if I'm born again? You see, Jesus, interestingly, transitions from the Spirit's work of regeneration to his work. Did you notice that when you, read the, when you were, were hearing the passage read? He goes from regeneration and new birth to saying... That no one has ascended, verse 13 through 15, no one 
has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why does he transition? He says new birth originates in God, comes from God, and yet there's a call to believe. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In the Old Testament, in Numbers 21, God sent fiery serpents to punish and destroy the Israelites because of their grievous sin of idolatry. He sent them a curse. Please listen carefully here. I want you to listen carefully. What's going on? God sent them a curse. Moses, the mediator, what was he told to do by God? Make a bronze serpent in the likeness of a curse and put that likeness of a curse on a pole and lift it up so that all the people may look up and live. Right? Why would Jesus use this as an example? What is he telling Nicodemus, what is he teaching us? Jesus would be lifted up on the cross, and those who would look up to him would live and have eternal life. In other words, Jesus became a curse for us and was lifted up, and those who look upon the curse shall live. The Catechism says God's justice demands that sin is punished with the supreme penalty. Jesus satisfied God's supreme penalty and justice and judgment by becoming a curse for us, and all that look upon Him shall live. He is the sin bearer. He is the curse bearer. Are you listening to me? Are you hearing what is being said? He is the curse bearer. And everyone who believes on him will see and enter the kingdom of God because they have been born again. God has given them eyes to see and believe that Jesus Christ indeed is the Savior of the world. That he indeed is the sin bearer. My sin bearer. Is he your sin bearer? Your curse bearer? Because the only way, friend, that you can look upon the Son and live, look upon him in faith and live, is because He worked in you by His grace and mercy and by the power of His Spirit. Because if it was not of grace, if it was not all of grace, we would be in deep trouble. We would still be in the place of misery and sin. We have faith because the Spirit caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. And he has been poured out into our hearts so that all God's sheep, all those for whom Christ died, when they hear the shepherd call, John 10, when they hear the shepherd call, they hear his voice and they follow. John's gospel is masterful. It is a masterful piece 
of writing because it has a divine inspiration. <laughs> Believe in Him and have eternal life. God creates faith and causes us to be born again so that indeed we hear the shepherd call. And when we hear the shepherd call through the preaching of the word, through the reading of the word, through the administration, the various administrations of the word, we hear his voice and we follow. And that's all because we have been born again by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that you have poured out your spirits upon us. That you have taken dead sinners, sinners dead in trespasses, dead in sin. And you have made us alive in Christ. You have revived our hearts, our dead, useless, faithless hearts. You have revived and given new life. So that when we hear the shepherd call, when we hear the shepherd call and say, believe in me, we, by grace, respond in faith and repentance. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that you did not leave us in our sin and misery. We thank you, O oh Lord, that we have been delivered from our sin and misery. And we thank you, O oh Lord, that by your grace and spirit we can live our lives in gratitude for your deliverance. Desiring to love you and to live out your commandments, not to earn your favor, but because we love you and desire to serve you and follow you all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name.